Welcome to the TFT Podcast. I'm Matt. That's not Ryan. It's Pete. Hey, Pete. Thunder only happens when it's raining, Matt. <laughs> and it's raining, so here comes the thunder. How you doing? Thunder! <laughs> uh, we are doing Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. Uh, the second... Um, uh, the second album following uh, Stevie Nicks and um, and what's his name? Oh, Lindsay God. Buckingham. Yeah, Buckingham from yes. the Buckingham Knicks duo. Yes. Uh, who... The storied Buckingham Knicks duo <laughs> that was oh so successful prior to joining Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> they were subsumed into the band, released a self-titled album, and then released Rumors in, I believe, 1977. Um, the same year... As Rocket to Russia, right? And, like, I, I'm going to have some stuff to say about that in in uh, a little bit. Can you provide me a little context of what Rocket to Russia oh, is? Oh, Rocket to Russia, if you haven't, if you haven't been following the, uh, the recent episodes of the TFT podcast, Rocket to Russia is, uh, I think, the third Ramones album. Ah, um, gotcha. That, that uh... You know, so so we did it uh, two weeks ago, uh, la- pausing last week to um, to do these fucking sorrows of young Werther uh, in uh, in the Dichterliebe uh, episode with Jordan Stokes and talked about Schumann leader and song cycles and um, you know and the uh, little pearly teardrops that fall from your beloved's face and we uh we uh finished that but uh so now we're we're back in the 70s we're back in the 1970s um we're back on the the story we're telling in this particular um in this particular sweep this particular historical season uh i think is going to turn out to be the story of punk Right, the story of the emergence, the the emergence and the the kind of aftermath of right of punk, and uh, so we began with um, Neil Young, uh, Bob Dylan. You know, um, we began with uh, talking about um, the hard rain that's going to fall. Right. From from Bob Dylan and the harvest, you know, that comes after the hard rain has fallen from uh, from Neil Young. And, and then the rocket to Russia that's funded by the agrarian economy that transitions into an industrial economy. <laughs> and, and I mean, we've sort of talked a lot also about the uh, about the 60s and the 70s and the 70s as a time of a sort of betrayal of the promise of the 60s um, or you know, uh, or of a kind of a failure of the, the promise of the 60s and a kind of social questioning about like, wait, uh, you know, there was this sort of genuine moment that seems, seemed as though things were, were opening up. And by things, I mean, like, you know, what, ha- what have you, all manner of social, uh, you know, all manner of kind of social practices and, and uh, a sort of um, optimistic view of the future and uh, a... Uh, Something like a something like a spiritual renaissance that was maybe epitomized in the summer of love or or at least kind of had one visible manifestation in the summer of love, but also went to a sort of larger uh, social larger social opening up that seemed to to shut down and uh, our look at marvin gay 's um, uh, our look at what 's going on um, 
was about that was about that and so you know going going into punk right we're we're sort of in the in the aftermath and we we brought up mad men a little bit uh ryan and i talking about it and the sort of um the almost kind of fantasy tones of the the 60s that descend uh, and as new york descends as i put it um the kind of the long slow descent into the warriors you know into uh cities as this place of of uh disease and threat um and uh you know, crime, violence, uh, and the Ramones being sort of being sort of creatures of that, right? Um, rock, rock, Rockaway Beach uh, being the beach of opportunity, right, and not an uh, not an aspirational beach. Uh, and we talked a lot about that, and and so this this sort of this uh, you know Le Fleur de Mal like kind of putrid flowering. Um, of punk music and the the sort of uh, aggression and energy that goes along with it um, is uh, this this is happening this Fleetwood Mac this this Fleetwood and this Mac um, they are uh, they are uh, happening at the same time out in California while you know the Ramones are are from New York so yeah. um, um, to, to to add a little additional context you know Rocket to Russia comes out the same year that Star Wars came out. Yeah. Rumors by Fleetwood Mac was the number one album for 31 out of the 52 weeks of the year that Star Wars came out. So this was like, it was happening in California, but it was everywhere. This is a huge album. And I think it's hard for us to, I don't know, I often feel like we give kind of outsized, outsized treatment in terms of considering the moment for uh, albums and movies and, and songs that have uh, gained kind of critical acclaim or influence or fondness, um, but this this is a this is a great deal of a bigger deal at the time than the Ramones was. I think is 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 fair to say for like the large number of people. Oh yeah, it was right? it was much more a uh, kind of all culture phenomenon of the of the sort that we don't really have anymore. I mean, I mm-hmm. suppose the most um, pervasive pop hits, the sort of inescapable ones, right? Like, but but even so, I think the album sales are still so much smaller. I mean, this this album is certified diamond in in like half a dozen countries or yeah. something like that. It's put- it's been on the British charts uh, for f- more than five hundred weeks in the top seventy five, <laughs> so <laughs> ten solid years on the charts. For this album, they do it's like Redonk. they do like their Fleetwood and their Max. So yeah. if you haven't heard Fleetwood Max rumors, um, yeah, go uh, go listen to it on your uh, on your streaming service of choice, or or buy it. You can buy it using the affiliate link in the show notes for this episode. We've been pu- we've been putting these in uh, weekly, and are glad that you uh, that you use them. Um, there's also a streaming playlist from Spotify embedded in the, in the post. So, uh, by all means use that too, if you would like, um, we'll be, uh, uh, right back to talk about rumors after this, um, after this message from our sponsor. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. You know, I've been really upset lately about all these rumors that are going around about me. Really? Yeah. Have you tried Zoloft? (laughs) 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 And we're back. (laughs) 
Um, I, actually, if we're doing the Fleetwood Mac, Mac episode, the proper thing is, Matt, have you tried cocaine? Matt, Matt, I, you really, you really need to try this. Oh my god, man. Yeah. Um, yes. Endorsed by endorsed by six out of five Fleetwood Mac members. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Too soon. Um, so, uh, so Pete, um, I. I happen to read the overthinking a Twitter account. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh and we've had this this date, you and I, on the books, uh you guest hosting the TFT podcast for a little while, and so we've been preparing by listening to the album. Um, yes, this is one of I believe three acts that I really, really, really wanted to be part of. Uh the first was the Springsteen one, which I missed, but I didn't know what was happening, and this that was what inspired it. The second one was if you ever do Bon Jovi, I'd love to be part of it, potentially, if that ever happens. And the third was was rumors, was Fleetwood Mac, yeah, exactly. Well, we're we're getting into we're getting into the eighties probably in the next uh, in the next historical swing so so there's you know definitely not going to um, not going to uh, uh, not going to miss the opportunity to do it with you but uh, so um, as it happened last week's episode uh, which was a pre tape hadn't hadn't posted yet and we um, so your 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 tweet was hilariously interpreted to refer to the Ramones, uh, to the debut album and Rocket to Russia, um, but you really, uh, you really meant it about about Fleetwood Mac. So, so uh, tell tell everyone what you tweeted and a little bit about why you, um, uh, a little bit about your experience listening to the record. Yeah, sure. So I tweeted that in the next TFT podcast, which really apparently was the next next. TFT podcast, there would be a special guest. I praised myself as I designated myself as special, which I felt like is something I've been working on with my therapist for quite a while, so that's good. And uh, that he was listening to the album that was going to be uh, talked about, discussed at this podcast, and that he was sobbing. Uh, just He was finding himself uh, on the edge of tears while re-listening to the album after a number of years. And you probably wouldn't have expected just like I wouldn't have expected that re-listening to Rumors by Fleetwood Mac would have brought me to this like really emotional place, especially when I was on the T riding through Cambridge here in Boston or Greater Boston. If you know, if you listen to the regular Overthinking It podcast, you know I cry a lot at movies. Uh, I cried a little bit during or a lot during Guardians of the Galaxy. That's an episode you can check out. But just to provide a little bit of extra context, so so. I, it wasn't actually rumors that I have a history with. I had a I had a double best of Fleetwood Mac CD, right? Which is basically the same as rumors. There's like a couple <laughs> of other songs. There's like a couple of other Landslide songs. Landslide is on there. Yeah, Rihanna, yeah, like Rihanna. Is on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's like a couple of other. There's a couple of other songs on there, but it's mostly rumors. Um, and. Uh, I got this because – I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but a, a big share of my music collection when I was a teenager uh, and in my you know early, early 20s was from Columbia House. I had uh, sold my soul to Columbia House. I needed to buy it back in albums, and I welched on my commitment to Columbia House. I defaulted on my Columbia House commitment and was compelled by Columbia House to buy – a large number of CDs in a short period of time off of a list of CDs that were in particularly high supply and low demand. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is where I got my REO Speedwagon best of. This is where I got my Journey best of.
best of. This is where I got my Earth, Wind, and Fire best of. And it's where I got my two-part Fleetwood Mac best of. And I love a lot of these albums. I never would have gotten in. I wouldn't. I mean, greatest greatest hits. They weren't albums, right? Um, but so all that all that put all that is additional context. I owned a Fleetwood Mac double CD. When I was, this was when I was 22 years old. This was 2002. And some of you who know me personally or know my life story know that there was a very, very difficult time in my life in late 2002 when uh, my family ran into some trouble and we, our house was repossessed by the sheriff. Uh, which, you know, when all the subprime mortgage stuff was happening in the later part of the decade, I was like, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Oh. Um, but uh, but I came home from college, um, the vacation of December, right, December vacation 2002, and found out that I had uh, two days. This was sort of after, after Christmas, before New Year's. I had like two days to move all of my things out of my childhood home because by the time I came back for the next break, the house would be gone. I mean, it would still be there, but nobody I knew would be there anymore, and I wouldn't have a key that would work. So it's basically the same as if the house had gone. So uh, a friend of ours that Matt and I know, a guy named Brian, uh, who we haven't seen in a long time, and if he by some chance hears this, I thank him again for this, time, this help he offered me in this difficult time, helped me uh, pack all my stuff from this house that I lived in for 20 years into uh, my mom's van, and I drove it to his place and stowed it in his basement. Um, while I was doing this, for most of the time that I was moving my possessions out of my childhood home, I was listening to the Best of Fleetwood Mac <laughs> double album. Oh, which, Jesus. <laughs> which, this is like super intense because this is a... And I bring this up not just because, oh, this is me, this is my story, welcome to the moth, you know. Like, you know <laughs> my experience is so relevant, and its irrelevance makes it relevant to people who are more sophisticated. <laughs> but no, um, no, not just because, but because this is an album that is an album of... Of moment, um, and I think that um, even more so than it being an album of moment of 1977 when it came out, which which it very much is, uh, it's an album of moment that can be of a wide variety of moments. There's a momentness about this album. It relates to this sort of suspension in kind of an emotional moment, an emotional crisis. There's a there's a way that it associates with these sort of detached feelings of kind of freedom and loss when you're in that sort of panicky space where something that you depended on is gone, where there seems like there's a positive aspect to it, but there's also a great deal of pain that you haven't really come to terms with yet, right? There's just this interspace where the stars are really bright, right? Everything's really bright, uh, as far as I would explain this phenomenon, after, right after you break up with somebody or someone breaks up with you, right? Is there's, is there's a very intense, super intense feeling, I've found, of both freedom and terror, um, and this is an album that was recorded during a long stretch of freedom and terror that was largely uh, fueled by cocaine binges and whatnot. But even more than that, I think it speaks to this. So, you know, Bill Clinton running for president used Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow as his campaign song in 1992, right? Um, it was a song of the moment then. It felt like a song of the moment in 1992, even though it's a song from 1977. Um, but at any rate... What happened? I mean, I, I love that CD. I love those CDs back when I used to listen to them a lot. Um, I haven't really listened to them all that much, mostly because I don't really listen to CDs anymore. And I come back to it. I put it on the Spotify. I listen to it on the train, and just all of this emotion from these past the past time that I was listening to this album, right? All of the intensity of uh, not all of it, thank God, but like some small measure of it, kind of rises up, seizes hold of me. Right, like uh, listen to the wind blow, watch the sunrise. You know, like it's just this this feeling of this sort of uncontrollably vast uh, um, 
emotional reaction kind of wells up uh, while I'm listening to the album. So I, th- I think that there's some insight into what this album does to people and why they like it in the intensity of my relation to it. But it also, I just want to disclose it as part of my relation to, to the album and, and, uh, uh, and sort of how I think about it and how it's colored by my experience. I think this is probably a breakup album for some people. It's probably a stay-at-home album for some people. It might be a parent album for some people. Yeah. It might be like, oh, I discovered this album and none of my friends like it. Music was so much better back before I was born, which is kind of true and not true because this is a bit of an outlier. They weren't all like this. But um, anyway, yeah. that's, 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 that's my, my short history of Pete listening to Fleetwood Mac. Um, the only other history I have with Fleetwood Mac is that I remember Mick Fleetwood being a guest in You Don't Know Jack once uh, <laughs> and seeing him answer questions or ask them or what have you uh, during You Don't Know Jack was, was pretty funny. We, you know, we don't talk a lot. Ryan and I don't talk a lot about the kind of the emotional meanings of of music. But it's we we tend to talk about these things as cultural artifacts, as things that are in dialogue with other music of the time, with music of the past, uh, with the the kind of larger society. Um, and we don't talk about them. Uh, we don't talk about them as these sort of intensely personal experiences that that people have. But that's. It, I mean, it seems like the, if you know, if there were a way to talk about movies, that that's probably uh, to talk about um, music. I mean, I don't know why I said movies. That's uh, that's an interesting slip um, to talk about music. Uh, that's that's why it is because movies are are sort of impersonal. I mean, or yeah, I don't know. Movies are sort of experienced as being like apart from you, right? Like you don't sort of become the movie. Uh, especially these days when everything is is you know alienating and I you know distanced with irony. Um, but music is very like uh, it's it's almost like you put on you put on headphones, you listen to it. The sound kind of enters you in in a way. The music happens uh, inside your mind, right? Like in a different way than in a different way than like uh, visual storytelling happens inside your mind, or or a different way than than the painting happens inside your mind because there isn't like there isn't sort of a physical artifact, and maybe it's this sort of anxiety, the anxiety about the lack of a physical artifact that leads to the fetish. Fetishization by by people like Jack White of like the the thingness uh, of uh, like vinyl records and you know Lazaretto having like an ultimate vinyl edition um, with the locked grooves and the the uh, you know under label track and all the all the sort of uh, chicanery and shenanigans that go on uh, on that uh, on that vinyl LP, right? Like that, that, that's a way of claiming like, no, this is the thing. This is the thing that corresponds to, uh, this is the thing that corresponds to the music, right? Right. Like the, like the Wu-Tang CD sealed in that chest. Yeah. Right. The the one. (laughs) The one. Yeah. And, and right. Like this is the, this is the kind of the projection of this thing into the world. This is the sort of singular, even though it's mass produced, well, not the Wu-Tang one, but it, even though it's mass produced, this is the, the sort of the singular object. Um, and I think there's, there can be a certain, certain anxiety on, you know, on the part of, of musicians, on the part of like practitioners of, of recording um, about the kind of ephemeral, uh, ephemeral nature of it, and all the more so today as we're moving away even from things like CDs, you know, un- undifferentiated as they are, right? This sort of this sort of invisible stream of bits being, you know, sent by radio waves across Wi-Fi and cellular networks. Um, 
is uh, is more ephemeral still, uh, more undifferentiated still, and and so it happens. I mean, the the music is is sort of the phenomenon of your experiencing the music, right? Like the the music is uh, the music is. Uh, your experience, your subjectivity, <laughs> the the music is your subjectivity while the music is going on, um, and and so we sort of don't talk about we sort of don't talk about that uh, a lot. But if there were a record to talk about it, right? Like uh, I think it's I think it's this record because without without becoming like confessional, you know, uh, without becoming a, like a kind of journal, you know. Um, or a kind of journalism, right? Like, which, which are two ways that, two ways that like songwriting, like that sort of engaged songwriting can be uh, a little too on the nose, right? One, when it's about personal experience and one, when it's about a, a social message in a straightforward kind of un, un, uh, you know, innocent of irony kind of, or innocent of, of any kind of figurative language kind of way. Um, like, uh, without becoming just uh, like a breakup journal, this record is really about personal experiences and is about like specific personal experiences that everyone knew. Right. And like that everyone knew what all, uh, all the stuff was about. Right. And like they, if, if they hadn't managed to kind of reach, reach through that specificity to a kind of universality. And let's, let's talk about, you know, the, the ways in which they do that. Um, if they hadn't managed to do that, Bill Clinton wouldn't be playing it, uh, on the campaign trail in 1992 and we wouldn't still be listening to it today. But like, if, if ever there was a record to talk about, like, man, there was a difficult time in my life and my family. And I was listening to this song at the time, this, these, this music at the time. And so it kind of seeps in, right? Like, like rain on the sidewalk, it finds, it finds kind of the cracks in my experience and cements them, uh, seeps in and kind of provides the connective tissue, uh, in, in, uh, you know, in a bunch of, in a bunch of experiences, right? Like there ever were a record to say that about it's this one. Yeah. And just to provide a little additional background, right? So there are there are five members of Fleetwood Mac at this point. This is the second main iteration of Fleetwood Mac. We don't really have to concern ourselves with the first one, which was more of a blues rock band, right? Uh, there's it does semi-improvisational stuff. So you have Mick Fleetwood, who's the drummer, and he's the guy who called the band this, and the, the band stayed called this because he remained in it, right? And he was British, and he moved to California and put the band back together. The band then can Consisted of two other couples. Uh, they were what, the the McVees, right? Um, they were the it, Mac. They were the Mac of the uh, of the name. Mac. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. It's Fleetwood and Mac, the McVees. Um, and it's it's uh, what is it? Oh gosh, um, Christine McVee. Christine McVee, and then uh, is it uh, Jason or James? I got to look that up. John. He's the one. It's funny. Funny enough, he's the he's the only. He's like the least. The other McVie is like the sort of least active voice in Fleetwood Mac, but he's also the one who named this album because this album was going to be called Yesterday's Gone, right? And uh, they decided, you know, because of Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow, but they changed the name to Rumors specifically because of what you're talking about, this sort of non-journalistic way of telling each other things about each other, right? So you have the McVies who had been married and are they're divorcing, like right before this album is made, and they're like not talking anymore, right? And then you have uh, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, who had been together for six years. They'd been intense artistic collaborators, and they'd been living together, uh, and they were also had broken up. 
and and it was a, and it was kind of chaotic. I think I think at one point Stevie Nicks would date Mick Fleetwood, right? And like they would get together, and they're the ones who are on the front of the album. But uh, Lindsey Buckingham is the is largely credited as being the kind of force behind the concept of the album, which is just it's going to be a bunch of pop singles, right? Is is like the main uh, thing that Lindsey Buckingham brings to the table. It's like yeah, we're going to make this album full of hits. Sure, the arch- the architect of the of the kind of high glow loss that that like yeah. and and it is i i read something about it that that called it a no filler album and it definitely is a no filler a no filler album yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it, it's possible that you might not consider it to be a no filler album if you don't uh if you don't understand what never going back again is yeah right which is because never going back again is like a specific genre reference i think to the Bee Gees. Right, and it's sort of there's a specific sort of song, the sort of like acoustic guitar chair rhythm song that was somewhat popular at the time. So it was relevant at the time. Now it sounds like a little bit, a little bit out Wait, of context. I, are you thinking is of secondhand news? Uh, no, no, secondhand news has more lyrics. Uh-huh. Um, is, ne- is never going back again the one where they're like uh, it's mostly just multiple acoustic guitars playing over each other? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, and it's there's not a lot of words, um, but yeah, and also Mick Fleetwood was also involved in a divorce at the same time. So of course, when you have three different couples, they're all breaking up at the same time. What do you do? You lock them in a windowless studio in Sausalito, California, right, for months, and just supply them with endless barrages of cocaine and alcohol, and then you you record just this copious, copious amount of music and all sorts of different instruments, right, and different concepts. Um, one of the interesting things about Rumors is that it um, – a, a number of the songs were recorded as multiple different songs that were then spliced together in post-production. And then uh, also there were problems where they were trying so many times to re-record the same songs that the tapes wore out, right? And so they had to overdub sections of them, right? And then they had to figure out, okay, how are we going to use the mixing board to try to correct all this stuff? So one, as much as we've said this is an album, this is the album, I think, that makes people think that when they're in the middle of a breakup, that's when they're going to be their most creatively fertile. Right, like I feel like that that idea belongs to Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. I don't think it's necessarily true that you're necessarily going to be your most productive and your most creatively fertile when you're really emotionally distressed. I think it sometimes happens, but doesn't always happen. And it's easy to forget that that this album was not like ever played beginning to end, like not even close. Like there was never a period of time while they were making the album that they played all the songs. Right, like it was, it was just massive material that they put together, and then it was, you know, it, the album is largely discussed as being very produced uh, to the point where authentic rock and roll people. Did, did, and again, when you're talking about punk, right, the sort of the punk, the emerging punk mentality and proto punk and ideas that are related to and contributing to punk, which want to kind of strip down music, really frown. This is this is very much the, this is the least stripped down it gets at this point. Like it is just like stripped on. They just they just basically put the strips up on top of each other until they get the song that they think is going to be perfect for the radio. Um, but I don't think that that means that it doesn't, that it lacks the, well, let me, let me, let me say this then. Should, am I the one who should pose the question this time, Matt? Am I the one who should, uh, who should do this for you? Or is this a time that's a thing that's reserved for you on the podcast? Is I, it inappropriate? I, no, I want, no, I feel like as the guest, you get to choose. Okay. Well then let me ask you this. These, these Fleetwood Macs, with their gold dust women, with their chains, with their going their own way. Are they for real? Painfully. 
Yeah. There's a, wi- a widespread uh, kind of cultural – there's a widespread meme that Stevie Nicks is actually a witch, right? Right. <laughs> because of her kind of her femininity and her, te- and her flowing streamers and her like sort of a little bit – a little bit gothy sorts of dresses but which are a little bit more like colorful, right, and, and all this other stuff. And also her like relationship with the occult and her music and all these things like that. And then there's some moments in this album – there's a moment in this album where Christine McVie, right, refers to, uh, you know – whether she wonders why she never believed in the ways of magic, right? Like, uh, and there's a moment where you, I feel like you're listening to this album where you can also be like, yeah, right? <laughs> like, given all of the sort of vast intensities that are being just shoved into the songs in this album and all of the sort of chaos, the, the emotional chaos that's being raised for it, um, and the way that it's all being sort of channeled into this cogent whole, like, uh, cogent, Jesus Christ, um, given, given the sort of the scope and the intensity, like, the mind has a plasticity to it as a defense mechanism that prevents you from staying in the place where rumors was recorded for more than a little while, Yeah, right? Like, your brain knows that this is not a good place for you to be. It is beyond your general capability to be dwelling in this intermediary space where your whole life is in chaos, right? Like, and your emotional life and your, your pair bonding is in chaos, right? Um, and, and when sort of – when we sort of – throughout this album, they're confronting like larger forces, natural forces, magic, right? Like um, everything from the unbreakable chain to the wind blowing as I've talked about a couple of times. The thunder, the thunder that happens when it's raining. Right uh, is is what this album is about to an extent, uh, sort of sort of half of it or part of it. Like there's the painful reality of it. Like that that feeling is definitely there and motivating a lot of what's happening here. Yeah, um, and it's also there in the listening of it. I mean, as much as the, the you know the oh the author is dead, I guess it doesn't really matter what Fleetwood Mac's intention was. It's possible that this was it was all a simulacrum and that they were all very well well dressed, well intentioned accountants who decided to portray a bunch of roles for the media. Like that's certainly possible. We could be living in a hyper reality where nothing we know is real. But and then it's even then even then those themes and ideas would still be present in Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. It doesn't require they actually went through these things. Um, for the realness of that palpable pain to be part of what's going on in this album. Hmm. You know, uh, the, the idea about sort of debating, uh, the, the debate about whether, would it be possible to have an accomplishment like this without the intense uh, kind of personal stuff that all the, all the writers were going through? That, 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 is, an interesting, that yeah. is an interesting question, I think, right? Like, because we're in the realm of the identi- identity-based music, right? Like, yes. we're, in the, we're in the realm of, uh, believe it or not, um, Iggy Azalea and whether she is, like, inappropriately uh, appropriating hip-hop culture, right? Like, yeah, this album feels very contemporary in certain ways. Just the way that it's all about the social lives of the characters, of the people, in the band and how everybody is talking about the people, right? You're all people. Everyone's talking about Stevie Nicks and her personal life while listening to this album to a much greater degree than they would be talking about like the individual Ramones. I mean, yes, there are fans, but like, this is, you know, it's like Kim and Kanye here, right? Like, um, which is, which is great. And also I think the other thing that adds to it, right. And we mentioned that there are kind of three social units within Fleetwood Mac. There's the Fleetwood, there's the Mac, and then there's the, um, Buckingham Nicks. 
there are also three lead singers of Fleetwood Mac, which if you listen to the album, you probably figured out. There's Christina McVie, there's Stevie Nicks, and there's Lindsey Buckingham. They each write their own songs, and they each sing their own songs, right? And yes, they, there's collaboration, there's cross-writing, where like one of them will write a song, and the other one will sing it, or there'll be different parts where they contribute. The Chain is the only song on this album that all the members of the group worked on together in terms of writing it. Um, right? It's the only one. All of the other ones are a project of one of the other three big voices. And the fact that the album kind of, and it's interesting because the the when we're talking about you're talking about the conveyance, right? I don't want um, to to really reinforce that. There are certainly other albums. I'm not crazy. There are certainly other albums where the the speaker on the album is experiencing comparable or far greater emotional intensity, right? Demonstrating it than the speaker of the songs in the in Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. You know, like like you know, even something like you know, I Get Wet by Andrew WK. Like the sort of level of emotional exaltation that takes place in an Andrew WK album. The sort of way that that social composure is disrupted by the presence of strong feeling, right? Like that's certainly greater in most in almost every metal album than it is in this Fleetwood. Mac album but the manner of the conveyance i feel like makes the scope of the intensity uh that mu- it makes it digestible and makes you able because these are like sort of soft rock 70s songs um not sort of that's what they are they're soft rock 70s songs uh with like funk influence and different sorts of like semi-progressive sorts of cross genre influences throughout the album um the because the baseline for it is just it's just a pre-chewed sort of music that's being regurgitated into your mouth. <laughs> like the sort of the, the, the nutrient of it, the emotional nutrient of it uh, is able to arrive sort of all at once. Uh, I find like, um, you know, dreams is a good, is a good example of this, you know, dreams, you might not even really know what it's about the first few times you listen to it because Stevie Nicks really, really in the interpretation plays down uh, and qu- is very quiet when she actually says the lines about the dreams, um, right? Which is, uh, you know, dreams of loneliness. Know. Have you any dreams that you'd sell? Dreams of loneliness, like a heartbeat drives you mad, right? And then it sort of comes, it sort of goes out and it comes back during the parts of the song where she's saying the platitudes about breakups, right? And also the sort of the truisms about sexual intensity during difficult times, mm-hmm. which, are, which are a cover for the sort of true darkness of her mind and her heart in this song, which can only really be communicated with its intensity in the sort of quietest moment of the softest rock, right? And like that's, that juxtaposition, <laughs> that juxtaposition is what makes this, this, this album so intense. It's, it's the, the, the definitive moment in the album, I think, is, um, is right at the end of the Songbird song, which otherwise doesn't really feel like it makes much sense, right? Which is, it's the only song that wasn't recorded at the Sausalito Studios. Uh, it's actually the break between side one and side two of the album. Uh, it's, the, it's the big Kaizura, uh, right? Um, but I like it even better as, in a, in a, in a one-run CD. So Songbird was actually recorded in a concert hall because they wanted it to have a different acoustic feel than the rest of the album. And it's a very soft song, right, which is sort of, I mean, it kind of questions the nature of art. It questions the nature of knowledge, right? It questions the nature of, like, how, how, how does art communicate to us emotional states is kind of, like, what this song is about. While at the same time, it's literally very sweet, well, figuratively very sweet uh, songbirdy kind of song. And it, and it is very quiet and it ends like very quietly. And there's like a long pause if you're listening to it on CD, which is when you would flip the album over. And then 
the like the bow bow now of the chain like kicks in, right? Which is just this sort of like you can almost imagine this is the part of Fern Gully where the big threshing machine comes through the forest, <laughs> right? Where you see like the first buzzsaw, just like just like a frog has to jump out of the way as a giant buzzsaw just tears through like a 200 year old tree trunk right and it's just like this this uh this just inevitable crushing thing is coming and then there's that just really dead on you know knit close harmony right that just bangs a, the listen to the wind blow well th- think of that juxtaposition right a whole song about songbirds telling whether they know how things really are right you're going from a song about s- listening to songbirds to a song that just says listen to the wind blow you know the birds are dead, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, um, it's, you're out there in the elements. There's you're alone, right? Like, um, uh, even in the presence of someone else, bound to someone else. You know, you're basically it's a song. You're basically Prometheus chained to the mountain, right? Like, uh, I mean, except that there's your ex-wife is there with you, and you don't know how to deal with her. Um, but, uh, but just <laughs> and just the vulture like, comes every day and goes, bow, 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 Exactly. I'm taking your liver and leaving you a bunch of cocaine, Prometheus. But just just like the juxtaposition of you, you, you could not have the kind of you know, it's almost it's a really some of these songs on this album are pretty corny. I gotta say, right? Secondhand news, super corny song is kind of stupid, right? Like uh, where it's you know, it let, lay me down on the tall, tall grass and let me do my stuff, right? Uh-huh. Like, uh, like come on, you know. But like this is the this I, is the, I, I always I I sort of wonder. I've been thinking, what specifically is your stuff? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, is it like is it like sex stuff? You know, like lay me because that's like lay me down in the tall grass, right? Like we're yep. gonna, you know, we're gonna get busy, right? But yep, then, yep, yep. then but like that doesn't sound like lay me down in the tall grass and let's have a good time, right? Like lay yeah, me yeah, down yeah. in the tall grass and let's make sweet love, right? It's not like lay me down in the tall grass. You just just don't don't ruin it. Let me do my stuff. You know, that's a that's a sort of bizarre way to to re- refer to that kind of uh, to that kind of um, yeah. encounter, though. It means I mean, I I think like specifically, isn't it? Le- uh, well, I mean, things are going bad between us. You know, I, I, I want to date some models. Right. Like and yeah. doing my stuff is like I'm going to I'm going to date some models. And why don't you just, you know, leave me alone and let me do my uh, let yeah. me do my stuff. Why don't People, you well, yeah. why don't People you lay me out, down yeah. in the tall grass? You yeah. go over there. Yes. I'll be over here in the tall grass doing yeah. my stuff. Well, because the song starts with him saying, right, I know there's nothing to say. Someone has taken my place. So it's like, okay, you're cheating on me with somebody else. How about you just let me go have sex with a bunch of attractive ladies, right? Like, that's what the song is about, right? Where it's just like, uh, um, I'm, I, I feel like when he says, I'm just secondhand news, I feel like what he, I don't know if this is actually the interpretation that's been borne out over time because there have been so many times. To, it's basically like, people will have sex with me and will find out by having sex with me that you're single, right? Like, or that, like, you've moved on, right? Like, uh, I'll communicate the fact that you've left me by going and having sex with other people. Um, but it's, it's kind of like joking and snide. Exactly. There's like, uh, it's, it's, there, I definitely feel like there are certain album, there are certain songs in this album, a lot of songs in this album, but this one in particular, where like you put it on there just to spite the other person in the relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Um, definitely, definitely. But some of the songs are really corny and I don't think that, uh, you could have the intensity of the more intense songs as successfully as if the, if there wasn't that kind of, claim to innocence that is in some of these songs 
Um, I do think the most important song on the album, after thinking about this a lot and listening to this album like five times or six times in the past week, is You Make Loving Fun. I think that's the most important song on the album. Um, and I talked about it before because it sort of addresses this sort of uh, aspect of the paranormal and the, and the occult, uh, which I think informs the relationship with nature throughout the album. Um, but, th- but this is an, uh, this is a, it has this great, um, that great line, right. Where, where I don't have to tell you that you're the only one, right. Um, I don't have to tell you that you're the only one. Uh, the intonation changes the meaning out of it a lot. You'd think in listening to the song when she's saying, I don't have to tell you that you're the only one. It's cause you know that you're the only one uh-huh. is the one, the one that is the reason I don't have to tell you. Uh, or, and, and, and every great poetic interpretation has an or in it, yeah. right? Or, the reason I'm so happy is that I'm under no obligation to profess exclusivity to you, right? Which is like, there's this, right? It means both things at once. Because this is a song about Christine McVie screwing the Fleetwood Mac lighting designer. <laughs> <laughs> and so, she wrote it for him. It's true. It's totally true. Like the lighting guy on their tour, yeah. she was having sex with him uh, while she was still in the band with her ex-husband, and she wrote this song kind of in a kind of a biting way. It's very nice to this guy, but it, it it's it's written like a professed song of love for someone you're in a relationship with, right? Um, you make me happy when the things you do, the feeling follows me wherever I go. Even the thing you make loving fun. What this song this song is hiding something. What it's hiding is that what that line really says is you make fucking fun right right like this is a song about fucking and and it has these sort of you know what it is when i say that it has this sort of innocence to it it's that it's censored right it's using kind of mid-20th century uh you know around the truth language uh for propriety's sake this is a this is a song that is uh that has its it's kind of like it's kind of shade up over its eyes it's got its fan up in front of its nose right where it's like uh oh well you just make loving fun now don't you right like um like you don't say things like this this is the kiss the kind of song that would say that if uh, if if Stevie Nicks had in fact been knocked up by Mitt Fleetwood, which she was not, uh, that she was late, right, or that she was like in 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 a, in a feminine way or something, <laughs> like you know, like all those sort of like euphemisms. Um, I actually took a great, I took a screenshot. Uh, I don't know if we can put, we may, I probably can't put this up with the show notes. Maybe we can try. But I took a screenshot of a comment, a reader comment to a review of rumors that just really, really amused me. So here's the comment. The comment is uh, Susan Lewis, uh, right? And she put her name up there. I don't know if that's her actual name, but whatever. She wrote, huh? Thunder only happened. Oh, because this was this was the NPR article that you can find, and I don't even feel like we ought to link to it because it's so shameful about how the, the NPR guy doesn't like Fleetwood Mac. Right, and it's like, of course, the NPR guy doesn't like Fleetwood Mac. This NPR guy doesn't like Shakespeare. That NPR guy doesn't like Fleetwood Mac. You know, like this is this is the sort of thing. Like, I liked it before it was cool. I didn't like it before it was cool not to like it. Yeah, right. Like, um, it's really what this is. It's sort of like it's a kind of uh, it's a Zoloff hipster way of approaching the world. Um, but the but Susan Lewis wrote, "Thunder only happens when it's raining. Players only love you when they're playing. Timeless to be cherished." Then a guy named Dan. Uh, Dan Swain chimes in and says, what exactly does thunder only happens when it's raining mean to you? I love rumors, but I hate that lyric. And her response is, being a happily married lady, I cannot get into that with you. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I, I just feel like like that line encompasses a lot of where the art is in this album. And that like there's a lot that is talked around or is unsaid. Rumors, right? Like there's a lot that's said, there's a lot that's implied. Um, there are things that are that the truths in the songs are sometimes the sort of basic primal truths of the songs are hidden behind a lot of artifice. Um, and then this, and I think this is also one of the reasons why this is kind of a quintessential suburb album, right? I think I think it's mentioned uh, in is it one of the Kevin Smith movies where they're like, oh yeah, they gave a copy of Rumors to every house in the suburbs, right? Yeah. It, was, it was left in every mailbox. But it's it's this is an album that um, you know if you're talking about the '50s into the '60s into the '70s, the idea of the suburbs as a place that obscures and hides. I mean, sort of hides all of the things that everybody's doing. Yeah, I but- mean that's that's really interesting given the sweep of of the thing, right? Uh, given the sweep of the the current season of TFT, the current kind of uh, quarterly p- project, right? Because the you know uh, the Ramones and also Marvin Gaye are music of the city, right? Are are urban music, and the, and this is so much sunnier um, because it's not it's not urban. Right. Like it's yeah. it's it's suburban. It's I mean, it's actually like San Francisco. It's Sausalito. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And this this section of like this feeling follows me wherever I go. I never did believe in miracles, but I have a feeling it's time to try. I never did believe in the ways of magic, but I'm beginning to wonder why. And what this is about is it's about the first person you've slept with after you've divorced your husband. Right. Like and, and just think of the tension between those two ideas. Right. And, and I think um, the the. The Buckingham songs are pretty nasty <laughs> in terms of their general disposition towards TV Nicks, I yeah. think. Like, um, you, you can go your own way, right? It's like, they're, they're, they're more, more what you would expect from kind of an adolescent or immediately post-adolescent reaction to like a bad breakup, right? Between dramatic people, right? It's like, this is how I feel. This is how I feel. Um, the Christina McVie songs are much they're more mature this is a very mature album about very intense feelings a lot of times it's it's sort of you know yes you have those really intense feelings you have those you know you stevie nicks you have those dreams of loneliness those paralyzing moments in the middle of the night where you feel like you're going to be totally alone forever while you're telling yourself that like oh hey you know this is the fun time because i'm single and ready to mingle right like uh and desperately lonely (laughs) right like um like these these intensities that run under these performances of yourself Right, um, and this idea that you think the songbirds are telling you what this all means. Um, I want to I want to get the out the lyrics to Songbird up as well. I've been really monologizing. Do you have any particular interpretive feelings about the lyrics in these in this album? So or? Songbird was Songbird was the one where it got a little misty. It got a little. Uh, Dusty-eyed for me, and there must have been some dust in the room when I was listening. Yeah. Uh, when I was listening to it, and I, you know, I mean, here's the thing, like. Um, I, I I couldn't tell whether this was like a happy. Th- th- there's there's like a bittersweet quality. I couldn't tell with with um, wh- this whether whether this was a profession of love like to someone who is your lover or or like a, a, is kind of fantasized as being your lover or like is like looking back on a happy time when things were working out or. Um, 
or the more likely reading that it's that it's sort of like you know if you love something <laughs> set it free right yeah. like uh but it's it's on the on the but what activates that reading because i th- i think it's not explicitly in the lyrics right for you there'll be no more crying for you the sun will be shining uh and i feel like when i'm with you uh it's all right i know it it's right um to you i'll give the world to you i'll never be cold because uh, i feel that when i'm with you it's all right i know it's right and the songbirds are singing like they know the score and i love you i love you i love you uh like never before right and then the yeah. the bridge is the only thing that kind of that where there's a kind of a shadow cast over it right yeah. and i wish you all the love in the world but most of all i wish it from uh i wish it from myself right like yeah. i'm i'm not sure i'm not that from right yeah. like is is such an interesting such an interesting preposition right like um what does that mean? I wish it from myself. I wish that I am the one to love you. Right. Yeah. I mean, look at the pairing, right? From is repeated a couple of times. And one of your favorite constructions is right at the beginning of this song for you, there'll be no more crying. And I wish that from myself. So partially the song, when it says for you, there'll be no more crying. You think that that means you won't be crying anymore. Right. But what it really means is, or not what it immediately means, what it additionally means is I won't be crying anymore. This will be coming from me, and it will be for you. Right. And it will also be, you know, f- um, because of you. Sure. Like, for, you know, right? And, all, and the different meanings of for that you love to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it is, yeah, there's like, a, there's this idea of like, I love you, I love you, I love you. The lady doth protest too much, right? Like, uh, I love how I feel in this situation. Um, the songbirds sing like they know the score, right? Like, uh, gosh, I don't know. I, I interrupted you. If you've got more on this song, like, go for the, the, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay, so, like, who are the songbirds, right? Like, well, it's the other members of Fleetwood Mac. It's the two other lead vocalists, right? Yeah. Like, uh. <laughs> in, the, in the band, you know? Um, the, the, that's really interesting. Yeah, because that's who's doing the singing, yeah, uh, it's not it's not just the metaphorical birds. I mean, sure, it's the the sort of you know pathetic fallacy uh, uh, birds, right? Like who you know tweet who tweet uh, either about love gained or love lost uh, outside your window, right? Who who um, announce the beginning and the end of a liaison, the nightingale and the lark, and right the 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 whether it's going to be a, a let's get it on lyric or an obad lyric, right? Like, right. Um, but in in this in this case, it's sort of like yeah these these other these other band members think they know think they know what's going on right like think they understand what the uh what the score is um think think that love is either about you know Stevie Nixon being dark and heavy or uh it's about like you know uh fuck you. Yeah, (laughs) right. Like the other, um, I'm a cool guy, and I don't need to have you as my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you can go your own way. That's yeah. Would you just lay me down in the tall grass before you go? Because I have some stuff I want to do, and it's my stuff. Um, you know, but but this is but right. This is how um, 
This is a, uh, I mean, maybe a more mature take because it's it's the sort of more tragic take, right? It's mm-hmm. it's the take that that kind of accepts as unchangeable the um, the irresolvable tensions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in in this kind of thing, and sort of living through uh, living through this kind of relationship, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's funny we're we're reading um, Slaughterhouse Five in the Overthinking It Book Club right now right and uh i i try not to to plug topical things in in uh in that uh in those episodes because you know they're supposed to be kind of evergreen um but but here we talk about stuff that's that's going on right now and like right now that's going on and and there's another one where it's sort of uh there's a kind of fatalism combined with uh with this sort of protest message and they seem to be they seem to be incompatible right like you can't sort of believe that war destruction tragedy cruelty uh, are inevitable and at the same time protest them at least so right. goes the sort of algebra teacher's logic of you know of uh internet right internet based literary criticism right which wants everything to kind of reduce to a uh uh to an internally consistent formula right and the answer to that is no of course you can right like yeah. of course of course uh you can believe that something is inevitable right like and and also think that it's terrible and and shouldn't be that way right like yep. of course um, the relationship can be breaking up and terrible. And I love you. I love you. I love you. Like never before, you know, there's the, and, and that's the sort of, I mean, you called them mature before and I've echoed that. And I think the maturity, I think in, in the ability to kind of, um, uh, to kind of, uh, give voice to that contradiction and, and kind of let it stand without, without rushing to resolve it, um, you know, without either with with kind of letting the bittersweetness of it stand, without rushing either into misery or into vindictiveness, uh, that's that's where the maturity lives. Yeah, I think a great a great song for that is the kind of creepy "Oh Daddy" song. Yep. Because and from reading yeah, up but on it's this, it's like one, daddy. It's like daddy, like my old man. But like, yeah, sure, okay, we have to, we have to, uh, we have to talk about that. Well, oh, no, I mean, the, as I'm looking at this this lyric on Rap Genius here, um, I, I mean, honestly, Sai, it's the best. It's the best one we can find, though. You know, there are plenty of problems with Rap Genius. Um, I was the, just looking at azlyrics.com. I'm sure it's installing Russian <laughs> wear spots on my computer right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you're part of the botnet. Um, it's the it's a um, cropped the graphic that goes along with it is a cropped version of the cover that is just the crotch with the with the dangly with the dangly yeah. balls. Um, and apparently the members of Fleetwood Mac called Mick Fleetwood Daddy. Uh-huh. That was his nickname in the band. Yeah. And that this, uh, this song is sort of about him being a bit of a taskmaster and forcing them to continue to do the work during the course of recording rumors. Um, right. And like, and this, I, I remember it's mostly McVie, but the, I can't walk away from you, baby. If I tried is a Stevie Nicks lyric, um, I read and, uh, just this this idea that there that also it kind of reads as if the daddy is also is cocaine, right? Yeah. Because anything in this in this album could also be about cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean any anything, I suppose. I mean, I guess yeah. Gold Dust Woman is the one that's sort of the 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 most. Um, yeah, that's most clearly about cocaine on the nose, right? Like take your silver spoon, uh-huh. dig your right, dig your grave. Uh, 
Fleetwood Mac is like anti-grunge because grunge, in grunge music, the songs are all about heroin, but you interpret them as being about relationships. Uh-huh. And this is an album where the songs all sound like they're about drugs, but they're, they're really they're really about relationships. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh... like Mr. Brownstone wasn't a landlord, people. Um, <laughs> That's not grunge. That's earlier than that. But you know what I mean. The um, like the the. It's funny. Like see your sunrise. Uh, loves to go down. Um, uh, we t- you know we talked about Neil Young and every junkie's like a setting sun. Um, in uh, Needle and the Damage Done, you know, and this uh, this sort of image of sort of of going going down, the sun going down, um, being sort of being an image of decline, but also something that references uh, references great beauty, right? And a kind of really kind of captivating uh, captivating experience uh, or a compelling experience to, uh, to watch, you know, to yeah. kind of bear witness to. And also like the, the ending happy ending frame of a Western movie mm-hmm. is the sun is a sunset riding off into the sunset. Yeah. Well, the camera stays and it's like, we stay, the camera stays like behind the woman in the town, right. While the, the man on the horse rides off to the horizon as the sun yeah. is, is um setting beside uh, setting behind him and there is that sort of like there is that sort of cowboys of the emotional frontier quality you know that we've talked about in in uh in this kind of romantic idea of um in this romantic idea of the poet and what what artists are for right 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 it is interesting to consider whether that question is heavily gendered um, because Gold Dust Woman is very different from The Needle and the Damage Done. Sure. Um, you don't get the sense that uh, that the, the this woman doesn't get to ride off into the sunset. <laughs> um, I guess what the uh, the um, the it's line... also sound it's it's sung by a woman about her own her own experience, right? Yeah, so like yeah. it, it's it's not sung by a man about the Gold Dust Woman cocaine. It's I am yeah. I am the Gold Dust Woman. You know, right, you right, know right. what I mean? Uh, and and so it's it's uh, it's inside the experience. Um, it's inside the experience a lot more uh, than um, Needle and the Damage Done uh, is, right? Yeah, yeah. Is this, what's in, one of the interesting things about this song is, uh, did she make you cry, make you break down, shatter your illusions of love? Is it over now? Do you know how to pick up the pieces and go home? So who's she, right? Is, is, are, we, are we transitioning? So the, this, most of the song is uh, song to the gold dust woman. Yeah. Uh, right and sort of, sort of, you know, it's that kind of impersonal. Uh, do this thing, person. You know, like, I'm trying to think of other good examples of this. You know, like uh, um, not like ride 'em cowboy or like you know, <laughs> carry whatever. on my wayward, carry son. on my wayward son. Like it's a sort of abstract folk thing. This 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 character you know is like come rock on gold dust woman um dig your grave uh and of course you know you're really thinking about yourself and then when did she make you cry is that being said to the gold dust woman about cocaine but then there's the line rulers make bad lovers you better put your kingdom up for sale up for sale the album's pretty heteronormative i don't think there's any parts of the album where they outright identify lgbt relationships right like um and so it's the kind of thing where even if there were a, a girl girl relationship a woman woman relationship it would be spoken of as a male woman relationship right to avoid controversy right um and convention because after all these are rumors this isn't this isn't journaling um so 
if the if the ruler if rulers make bad lovers it sounds like it's about cocaine right where it's like the the addiction controls you and thus you can't really have this lover relationship with it which is also about a relationship with Lindsay Buckingham is really controlling and and what are you going to do but uh you know it's a little it's pretty sophisticated right rock on ancient queen those who pale in your shadow but then if the ruler is cocaine and the ruler is a lover then the ruler is male but did she make you cry make you break down shatter your illusions of love makes it sound like those are things that cocaine would do Right? Or is that someone else talking to someone else about the gold dust woman? Yeah. Um, you know, did this woman who was addicted to cocaine shatter your illusions of love? Is it over? Is it over now? So is this is this someone saying this to Lindsay Buckingham about Stevie Nicks? Right? Did the gold dust woman make you cry, break you down, shatter your illusions of love? Is it over now? Do you know how to pick up the pieces and go home? Right? Like, um, and then it goes back. Right. I don't know. It's just an interesting. It's an interesting uh, pronoun, right there. Yeah. It gets, in terms of like gendering the relationship. Yeah, there are different. I mean, there are different she's. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel like yeah. I feel like there is a. I mean, there's like a, a, it was kind of pointed out. I think in the Pitchfork review, there's like a, a pop blues dichotomy, or maybe a pop rock dichotomy. There's like a, a kind of high low dichotomy that that mirrors that kind of recapitulates the man woman dichotomy and the the sort of multi. It it, it becomes is really a strength that there is more than one voice kind of uh being the lead singer for the for the songs for the songs on the yeah. record because it it gets um you know i mean uh do you remember beck's sea change right like yeah of course uh, yep. that was his his like breakup record you yeah, know with, De- with deborah on it <laughs> I, so um the uh that's like a, that's a, a very different tone than this, right? There's no yep. lay me down in this tall grass and let me do my stuff. Um, I think that, that having more than one, one person there uh, kind of forces, forces everyone to um, maybe stay honest a little bit. Like uh, there's, because there's someone, there's someone there to refute your account, you know, yes, there's someone right there to say, wait, 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 wait. That's not that's not how it was. Um, where, which you don't get in like a solo breakup album. Yeah, very good point. Very, very good point. Yeah. I think it also accounts for a lot of the lyrical restraint, which then creates some of the moments of kind of interest, irony, sublimity, and beauty throughout the album. Um, one of the other one of the other aspects of it that I like about the album's production is the the harmonies are so close. That the phenomenon of the of the close harmony, listening to it, kind of the social image that it conjures, the album also heavily uses like reverb and overdubbing, right? Or like I guess it's probably multi-tracking the same vocal track, right? So like Lindsey Buckingham will be singing, and there'll be a second voice that's also Lindsey Buckingham behind Lindsey Buckingham, right? Um, in a, in a fair amount, and this is a very common sort of thing in '70s soft rock. Like it happens all the time with the Eagles, right? Where it sounds like the person is being reverbed in some way. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not crazy here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes when someone is singing alone, it sounds like they're singing with somebody else who's also on their side or them. Mm-hmm. So, the, so sometimes there's like a social, a social contextualization, a social aspect to the individual um, like pronouncements. Now, there isn't that in Songbirds, I don't think. Songbirds doesn't really sound like that. The person who uses it the most is Lindsay Buckingham. Um, sure. It's, I, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, the effect, like the thing you would like, uh, these days in, in, uh, 
whatever digital program you use. But like um, at the time, it was probably like an analog box. I believe it's called like chorus. Chorus, yeah, uh, yeah. Is that you? So you apply like a chorus effect, and that's that's uh, an interesting kind of uh, poetically suggestive name, right? You turn an individual voice into a chorus of uh, voices. You turn individual denunciation into a chorus of denunciation, into a chorus of praise, uh, right? And it's a way of kind of lending a certain kind of authority, right? A certain kind of thickness to the um, uh, to the proceedings. Yeah, yeah, totally. Eminem uses it almost all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like people with thin voices used it to thicken their voices. Paula Abdul adds five or six people every time she sings. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's interesting how the the effect of multiple people singing together. Uh, and, and what that means for the different songs, the chorusness of it. I mean, Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow is where it's the, at its strongest um, in terms of its, its sort of... Well, you've got the juxtap... You've got the two different sides. You've got Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow and you've got The Chain, which are the two places in the, in the album where everybody... Fe- it feels like everybody's singing about the same thing at the same time. And even the, probably the individual vocals are also multi-tracked and everything is choral, right? This is like the community is saying these... This is like the, the village is singing these things. Right. Um, right, and it's uh, and don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Of course, is it's just it's, don't stop thinking about tomorrow is an awesome song. In the con- it's an interesting song. It's an awesome song, but it's an interesting song in the context of this album. And again, why I think uh, Christina McVie is is an underrated uh, creative energy in Fleetwood Mac because she wrote that one too, uh, I believe. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, don't stop as it were. And it's just like don't stop. Yesterday, if yesterday's gone, yesterday's gone. Don't look back. Yeah. How many of the lines in Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow are about things that happened in the past being terrible, <laughs> right? Um, uh, don't Stop, where are the lyrics? Here we go. I'm not going to Rap Genius. I'm going to azlyrics.com. <laughs> um, so, so, so let's listen to this song. So the song sounds so happy, but let's listen to the song and try to extrapolate what it might be, uh, might be about. If you wake up and you don't want to smile, if it takes just a little while, open your eyes and look at the day. You'll see things in a different way. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. It'll soon be here. It'll be better than before. Yesterday is gone. Yesterday is gone, right? Why not think about times to come? <laughs> not, not, it's not. The, the song doesn't say, think about things to times to come. It says, why not think about times to come? And not about the things that you've done. If your life was bad to you, just think what tomorrow will do. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. It'll soon be here. Now, so, so I think I think part of this, what we're saying, what I think I'm, I'm claiming here, don't you look back? Don't you look back? It's almost it's it's kind of like Orpheus, right, climbing up out of the underworld, uh, not wanting to look back at his, his dead wife's ghost and losing right. her. Uh, but just in the sense that it's there's a forebodance, there's a forbiddance, there's a, there's a saying like don't do it, don't do it. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. You know, it, the same idea that these dreams in the dream song that are lurking on the edge of your consciousness and and are, are threatened to kind of paralyze you. Uh, that as long as you pursue, you know, as long as you uh, cover yourself with these platitudes and these truisms, then you can hold them at bay to an extent. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's just, jeez. Uh, I mean, it, it's interesting to think about this in the context of the, the traditional narrative of this album, and you've already expressed it. The traditional cultural narrative of this album is that 
the 60s and the hippies in the 60s, they did a bunch of free love drugs and everything was, was peaches and cream and optimism and summer of love and all this great stuff. But they did the, the drugs for so long that eventually they got addicted or they got sad. And then the, ideal, the, the idealism of the 60s collapsed, right? And, and, all, and you have this sort of decadent, hedonistic, morally vacant place. And that's the place where this album comes from. I don't buy it. I don't buy that that's what this album is about. I don't I don't I don't think that it's it's I don't think it's decadent. I think there's a lot of like there's a lot of I don't think a that it's decadent and b I don't think it's speaking about the free love times as something that was good. Right? I mean, these were bad relationships that people are getting out of. This is these are not like that's part of what makes this a more mature sort of album. It's that like, you know, if Songbirds is a song, if you read Songbirds as a song about because it also kind of feels like a song about the person dying, right? You, there'll be no more crying. The sun will be shining. These are things that you tell people when they're dying. <laughs> Right? Like you're going to a better place, mm. right? Um, you know what? And it's going to be fine, right? Like, uh, and I'm going to love you forever, right? And this is, and and it's like uh, these are these are comforts for the dying as much as they are kind of like comforts for the band as it works together on things, mm-hmm. right? But it's like, um, yeah, like the love, like the, there's a lot of pain in the past, and the, the, it's not just the pain of the present. It's not just the pain of the 70s that has realized that the body can't tolerate cocaine anymore. I think that there's a lot of upheaval in the 60s. Um, I mean, there's sort of like the Mad Men 60s, right, which were deeply troubling for a lot of people and were, were very tumultuous and difficult to deal with. Um, I think it's important when talking about generations to – we're talking about generations. It's important to recognize where in their lo- – where in your life – what was were you was this commentator where in this person's life was this commentator when these things happened because like these days it's like oh you hear i want to go back to the 50s i want to go back to before the 60s i want to go back to a time when america believed in something and was innocent right and it's like well no america still had jim crow america had the korean war you are six right like uh like you think of that time as an innocent time because you were a child right and then that point you were innocent right so like with Fleetwood Mac, you've got this thing where, you know, there, there were, these are people who are in the 70s, who are in their 30s, I guess, and then they're looking back on the 60s when they were in their 20s, and they got in a bunch of bad relationships. I mean, think about the sort of instability of your young adulthood and, and kind of reaping the fruit of that as you finally struggle towards making your life something that you can tolerate. Right, like, um, which I think is the experience of the end of the twenties, the beginning of the thirties for some people. I mean, mm. you know, present company ex- excluded, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, and then think of that in contrast, right? Think of that idea of like, holy crap, my twenties are over, and I don't want to be with this witch girlfriend anymore. Oh my god, this arrogant dude, Lindsay. I don't want to deal with him anymore. Will he just go away into tall grass and do his stuff? <laughs> right, like, um, or or even more so, like, oh man, I don't love this guy. He's so annoying. But he's so close to me, and I don't know how to deal with it. I'm going to be so lonely, right? When I can I go out there by myself, right? Can I can I remake my life? Um, I mean, think about if you're from the perspective of a teenager in the '70s, if you're like a Generation Xer, or if you're like a young punk kid in the '70s, you're not really interested in the like disenchantment that people in their 30s have with their 20s. Right, like you're not interested in like looking down that decade barrel of decadence, or not of like decadence, but like sexual experimentation of like liberation and individualization. You don't want to see that as a time of undesirable instability, right? Like you want to see that as a time of empowering change, of of catalyst, of catalysm, catalytic cataclysm, 
right? You want to see things that are, that are being, you want to see creative destruction because you want to come into your own. All right. And you're not really interested in people who are kind of like, like sort of cashing the checks that were written in their youth. Yeah. That's why, I mean, you call it a parent album early in the podcast and that's, that's a good, I mean, that's a good way of encapsulating what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my, that's my general thought about it. I mean, I also associate my, my parents were uh, born in the fifties. Right. And so like when this album came out, they were like out of college and just getting out of law school. Right. And like moving in and my parents were married two years before this album came out. I was born three years later. Right. And this idea of like, I mean, I mean, to get a little bit personal, I've already gotten very personal, but to get a little bit more personal, like, you know, when my dad talks about the 60s, he doesn't talk about it like a free love time that everybody's having a good time, right? I mean, again, he was a teenager, but he describes it as like a time when evil forces were trying to undermine our social order, right? Like, and he's not alone in that feeling about the 60s, right? And, and, you know, there's a lot of people who feel that way. And whatever it is, I think that it's important to remember how painful change can be for people. Um, and, and also, and also just as we said before, um, if this is an album that is really, it exists within the dynamic of the plastic mind that adapts and changes and scars and papers over old pains and tries to find a way to heal, right? It's like, you can't really dwell in the places that this album explores for very long, but the album doesn't even dwell on them all the time. There are parts of this album where like wounds have already scabbed over, right? Or you get the sense that, you know they're not really they're not really going to get to the raw center of what's happening, right? Um, right, like that. There's already or or also that they're already or there's glimmers of how you're going to possibly move on from these things. What's the new equilibrium? What's the new thing that's happening? Right. Um, so yeah, so just like you know, change, change, and pain and healing and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's adult. It's a very this is a contemporary album, but it's also a pretty adult album. There's mm-hmm. no uh, there's nothing about getting all up on someone's butt in this album. Yeah. that's for sure. There's no twerking. There's a twerk free zone, people. <laughs> and it's and as such, it kind of makes an interesting counterpoint to a lot of the uh, to a lot of the music that that we um, we consider, you know, which has like a lot less uh, mature concerns yeah definitely i mean it's interesting it's interesting to consider and i know we might be running a little short on time but it is interesting to consider the chain um consider the chain against the rock and roll rebellion narrative Mm -hmm. right this idea that rock and roll is going to be this force that sets us free from social bonds we're going to twist and shout and have a good time and we're going to get in our motorcycles and ride on our thunder roads and whatnot and we're going to like we're going to we're born to run we're born to get out of here like rock and roll is a social space that we go to to escape from the things that the older generation makes us do it's that sort of nickelodeon you don't want to eat broccoli because your parents want you to eat broccoli be cool watch nick right this sort of uh romantic this not romanticization this like um just this sort of like we're going to tell you how you're going to live your adolescence and it's going to be through rebellion and this is the music you're going to listen to and this is the car you're going to drive the chain this idea that you have these these unbreakable facts of your life right chains that keep us together that you know that this idea that you're bound to the people in your life that you're bound to the relationship in your life that if you're if you're in a good marriage or a bad marriage this thing ha- this thing is like unbreakable even if you manage even if the marriage itself breaks right like um so there's the juxtaposition in the chain of if you if you don't love me now you'll never love me again i can still hear you saying we could never break the chain right and that's how it is i don't have lyrics in front of me yeah i mean there's there's um 
Yeah. Uh, and they get the chain lyrics. The up. idea, the idea, I mean, though, is that like, this is like counterfactual, right? Like that yes. you have, you have broken the chain and I've, I can still hear you, you, um, I can still hear you saying you would never break the chain, uh, though you have. Right. But, uh, it's, but, it's, at, this, but at the same time, the shriek at the end, but anyway, continue. Sorry. Yeah, you can't, the, I, what, what you're saying, and I think you're, you're more on the right track is that you kind of can't break yeah. the chain, right? Like, uh, and and whereas you know whereas uh, the uh, adolescence and sort of the the uh, the earliest part of adulthood is about kind of like you can't tell me who I am I decide who I am I'm everything I'm different things I am the things that I will myself to be right yeah. like is about is about sort of possibilities is about sort of an an opening up of identity and and uh, an exploration uh, of possibilities and I'm, I know I'm returning to the to the uh, discredited '60s narrative again. Um, That's not entirely discredited. I mean, it's no, but I, well, it's not. I think at all discredited because it seems to be authoritative for people who who think in a certain way. You know what yeah. I mean? And a lot of those people happen to be musicians that we that we talk about or or are reacting against it um, in a way that that kind of accepts the facts of it for what they are. Uh, but uh, but it, it you know it strikes me that that beyond that like life sort of maturity adulthood is about a a gradual process of accepting your limitations right mm-hmm. like exa- a gradual process of of like being okay with the things the things that you aren't you know uh, mm-hmm. even if you might wish you were <laughs> those things at, at certain points yeah the um one one thing that this album reminds me of is the Sopranos. Um, particularly the later seasons of The Sopranos, and I'm not going to spoil anything um, that happens in The Sopranos, but um, over the, in the later parts of the series, uh, there are a bunch of like revelations that happen, where literally often in the form of dream sequences, right, or personal revelations, you know, where it's like, oh, this is what's happening. This is what I need to do to change my life. Like this is what this is the truth. I've found it. I know, right. And then the show goes on and it fades. And that's like periodically through the whole show. There's these moments of revelation where you think you've realized how to get out of the situation that you're in, but then life continues. And that plasticity of the mind guides you back towards a sustainable place and you fall back in your old habits, right? Like, um, and I feel like there's this, we crave and we need and we want uh, an idea of our life that feels stable and solid, even if we don't think we do. And these, and, and then these chains bind us together, um, even when we don't want them to, and we don't really have control of it. I mean, this, the whole, like, damn your love, damn your lies, damn the dark, damn the light. This is a damned if we do, damned if we don't song, right? And it's, and, I mean, even the sort of the, the grinding guitar and the thumping drums makes me f- literally feel like there's a, train or a machine that's coming, right? Or that the chain is kind of like a torture device or kind of like an inexorable uh, labor. It's, it feels like a chain, the chain gang, right? Is that we're bound to this thing and we're, we're, we have to labor, we have to work uh, and all this other stuff. So it's like, I can hear you saying you never break the chain. I don't necessarily, and then, but then it's juxtaposed against chain keep us together, running in the shadows. Chain keep us together, running in the shadows. So at the end of the song, the chain isn't broken, Right? It's like people are straining against the chain. They love the chain. They hate the chain. They love the fact that they're bound together. They hate the fact that they're bound together. They love each other. They hate each other. They have to keep going. right? Like, and this is the phenomenon of them all being shoved in that studio with no windows together, too, for months, doing lots of cocaine together and stuff. This, this is the idea of like we 
for better or for worse, regardless of what we want, we are together, right? And like we are in each other's presence and we can't get away from it. Right, like uh, these, these, you can't. I mean, S- S- Springsteen at least gets like twenty or thirty exits before he runs out of gas and has to turn around and go home. Right, like, um, like he can run a little bit. He can keep running until he gets tired, and then when he stops, he, he has to stop. Right, but this is like you can't go anywhere. You're you're trapped in a room with your ex-wife or your ex-husband. Right, and you can't abide them anymore. You can't tolerate being around them anymore. But at the same time, you can't see them go. I can th- I can yeah. think of a better metaphor for having a podcast. <laughs> Like when we congratulate ourselves on our unbroken streaks. Uh, <laughs> or when we chain ourselves in, in a room together on a weekly basis to, uh, to record. So in there, uh, you know, in, in that vein, Pete, it's been wonderful uh, having you as a guest on the podcast because Ryan knows that in order to keep a relationship healthy, sometimes you got to go out and get a little strange. Sometimes you have to go in the tall, tall grass and do your stuff. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's been it's been uh, wonderful uh, doing your stuff with you. Thank you very much, and it's been wonderful running in the shadows with you as well. And it's been, uh, as always, uh, you know what it's been, Pete. It's been real.